What's going on, everybody? This is Ezra McNeil once again with Real Talk with Ezra, the fourth episode. I'm so excited because this was a something that was, you know, really talked about on, on IG. And I was like, I want to wait for it. But, you know, all things happen for a reason. And it's now here. So I have two great guests with me. If you want to introduce yourself. Um, my name is Neeline George. I am a criminal justice major. I'm a junior here at Virginia State University. Hey, my name is Lewis Andrews. I'm a computer science major from Portsmouth, Virginia. I'm so excited to talk about this topic here today. Shout out to the track team, too. Track team. <laughs> so, uh, with criminal justice, you know that it is a... Well, criminal justice reform, it is a topic that is discussed, but is not discussed, discussed as much. You know, we, of course, you see documentaries about certain... Uh, incidences, certain crimes and stuff like that. But us, with this generation, we really need to talk about it more so we could be more informed and know how to maneuver within the justice system in America. And especially, you know, in regards to the black race. Like, let's just be real about it. Um, so I just want to give the uh, just a quick definition of it. If For those who don't know what criminal justice reform is, it's the generic term described for the efforts aimed at changing existing conditions in American law, enforcement, courts, prison, and jails. Now, the, question, the first question I would ask you guys are, is why do you feel that in America, you know, the, our race is antagonized the most in the court systems and, you know, law enforcement and all of that? Like, what do you, what do you feel? How do you feel about that? I feel like it dates back to, like, slavery time. Mm. I feel like they have something... I'm going to take that. <laughs> I feel like some people have it in them to, like, hate us or, like, have something against us. Why? I don't understand. Maybe they're, like... um, What is the word I want to say? Maybe they feel like we're inferior, although mm-hmm. they're supposed to be inferior. <clears throat> right. Um, And it's just something that they have against us. It. I never have understood it, mm-hmm. but maybe it's that. Right. I would like to say I think it started because when they were writing laws, right, we weren't there. Mm. We weren't there when they were writing laws. As the African American community, when we brought over the laws, were there to protect the rich white slave owner, the rich white property owner. So when we weren't there, we didn't have representation. So starting then, we didn't have nobody, people like us of our color, to mm-hmm. even put a word in it or even affect us. So start from there when it's just white people only with no black representation, it's going to be passed down generation, generation, generation. And then they felt when they started giving us free and slavery, the right to vote, they just started trickling and giving us a little bit of power. So they feel like, well, they have that, that they should be grateful for that because they didn't have nothing, which right. is not enough, which is what's wrong from the beginning. Right. Right, and that wasn't even really always for all of African American at first. I believe it was only for possibly men. I don't think white, I think white we men. had to. Yeah, we had the men. women had to fight for yes. it. Right, it's it's you guys hit it on the head. It's the history first of all. Um, of course, with the slave owners, like we we were not involved in anything. Right, and it took years and years, you know, for us to, to get actually it. get laws put in place not even over a hundred years ago like 
like 1964. Yeah. Right. Like, and then to we just have vote, those you laws know. And they still don't even work for us. Exactly. So it's like it's loopholes in ways that we are free, quote unquote. Supposedly. But somehow, some way, you still messed up. You still need to do time. Right. Regardless of it is, no matter how small or big, you still get sort of that same treatment. And that's also unfair as well when it comes to petty law, uh, petty crimes getting, you know, large times or a large amount of times in jail. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think that could segue into the next that I know Nia wanted to talk about with certain things being unfair mm-hmm. in the court systems and in the law system. So if you just want to go ahead and just talk about your things, your whole spiel, what's up? So I want to talk about the school to prison pipeline mm-hmm. or a lot of people, they might not know what that is. So it's basically saying that starting from pre-K, um, in elementary school, they start putting our children into the juvenile justice system. So that can be like you getting in trouble in elementary school for like little petty things, for like not paying attention in class, not listening to your teacher, or even if you get suspended, like those behaviors can lead to, it can either be positive or it could be a negative outcome leading for you to do something else so like if it's negative then possibly like you already have an attitude because you kicked me out of class so every time I come to class I'm gonna have this attitude with you and you're gonna keep kick me out of class and then I'm gonna end up getting suspended and then it just it's just a, a process from there and that can have us possibly in um in the jail system it's gonna start like a paper trail for us so like with the small incidences of you just being fed up with the day like, oh, you know, go to, not detention, but, you know, go to the separate room and, and just mm-hmm. do whatever. Right. And then it's like, they're upset for that. What they did, it wasn't like for, not just because they wanted to do it, it's because, you know, how they're feeling. And that's another thing, too. I feel like well, students, well, you know, younger kids in classes, like, they don't get talked to. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, no, they're being talked to, but not able to listen right listen and understand from like the adult side like they don't want to hear what they're going through they mm-hmm. just want to like oh yeah do this do that but there's a reason behind it, everything exactly you know you have to go deeper into that to figure out like what is the root cause for perhaps you acting out or something so like for example i have a younger brother who i believe he just switched schools over like our winter break mm-hmm. and the school that he was at previously they're like real strict on testing and stuff like that they're preparing them for college right. and elementary school and he's only in first or second grade so his teacher he were, he was having issues at first with his behavior he was going through things at home mm-hmm. like he has been separated from his father his father is out of his life now so he's trying to adjust to that he just moved to new york from florida so of course that's like a big adjustment for a little kid at that so of course he's gonna act out at school because those things are going on at home and instead of the teachers trying to figure out what's going on at home they're just automatically like oh you're just acting out like just go to the office they send him to the dean's office and of course they call your parents then too and you know you're gonna be scared of your mom when you get home (laughs) So that's an issue, and that's going to cause him to keep acting out in school, which he did. And we ended up having to switch to school because we found out it's not him, it's the school. Y'all aren't taking the time to try to figure out what's going on with him at home and how this is affecting his academics as well. 
if I may ask, um, how big were the class sizes? So with a bigger class size, the teacher is less able to focus in on the individual students. So right. do you think class sizes might have played on part? I feel like that could definitely play a part because with the more kids too, then that causes for more distraction for the kids that are in the classroom as well. Yes, yes, yes. So I think we should look different time into preparing our teachers how to interact with students through multiple size classes, a big right. class, a small class, because they're still young, so they're developing brains still. So. Yep. Right. Even though they're being disrupted, they're still attentive because they're trying to, like a sponge, trying to absorb all the in- information at the same time. So I feel like we should go into, with that situation in particular, teaching our teachers how to be not just a teacher, but a counselor because right. you're with that child eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. So they're sleep for another eight hours. So you're with them more than they're probably seeing their own parents. Exactly. So I feel like it's more than just being one plus one equals two is more how to groom and mm-hmm. how to add, how do you do this and interact with the kids more than just being behind the books. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's like in the in the classes, it's just, they just want students to regurgitate information mm-hmm. and not use it to life experiences. Right. And it's just, I feel like teachers should be trained, yes, to be as counselors, but they also need to know the demographic of where they're teaching at as well Mm -hmm. because with statistics and I guess in whatever community you're in you can know like the single parent households the the ones that like are with you know foster parents all those sorts so you need to also really understand who you're teaching to and how they how they learn how they learn because everybody doesn't isn't you know could be taught the same Mm -hmm. So you gotta understand that too. Like it's it's totally deeper than that. But yeah. Um. Um. According to my study that mm-hmm. I did, um, of course, more black children are more likely to be suspended from school. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a study done in Texas that said thirty one percent of black students are more likely to receive disciplinary suspension than white students, which is a major issue because then again I feel like you're targeting the black children and why is that and then also they more so target the students that come from um, disadvantaged families Mm -hmm. especially African Americans or just minorities period yeah I think that will decrease the suspension more likely if we get more people more black people in principles more black people being there to make those decisions so we can just call a spade a spade. We're kind of more nice to our own folk. Mm-hmm. Right. You are so... You're more understanding of people of your same background. So right. if we get more black people into those higher positions, then that suspension rate will go down drastically mm-hmm. because they're more lenient. Even though I believe all crimes should be... Or not crime because they're so young, but all incidents should be viewed equally as in no matter race, no matter age, boy, girl, gender, Mm -hmm. you should individually assess the problem instead of, oh, well, he dressed like this or he looks like this, so he probably did it and actually listening to the students. Because I believe suspensions are very counterproductive when, let's say, a kid's adding up in class. So you're going to take them out of the class so they can learn less information. Let's start a program where we keep kids to school more. Because you send a kid home 
You're not doing nothing. Nothing. Right. Nothing. TV, nothing at all. Video games. I'm not even getting in trouble. So what was the point? Right. Right. Um, I could say, um, ever since pre-K, I always was excited to see black teachers, specifically black male teachers, Definitely. because it was so rare. And I could say, like, from you know, going from you know kindergarten to high, graduating from high school, I still keep in touch with those those male black teachers who taught me. I don't even care if he was a substitute. Like, I just wanted to learn from you because you look just like me. Right. And my dad wasn't there the whole time. Um, so I needed, and my grandfather had passed away um, in middle school. So I know I needed that type of role model to help me and push me through. My mom could do, like your mom could do so much. Yes. Mm-hmm. But if you're, from a male's you know, point of view, you need that male role model in your life right. to really help you and push you through going through life as an American black male. So why do you guys think that not as many people apply for like those higher positions, especially like in the school to be like a teacher, a principal, or even when it comes to like the police, law enforcement? One thing I could say is maybe they'll look at how much they're getting paid. Yes. Definitely. That's the main thing. They would just see like, oh yeah, you you know she start off with you know twenty eight thousand, twenty eight thousand, like what? How like like how am mm-hmm. I supposed to live with twenty? Trust me, you can live with twenty eight thousand. Stop looking at the numbers, but look at that, at the lives right. that you're trying to you're you know influence. impact. You're gonna right. influence them to to do better than what you know what you're doing because that's what you want to do. You want to pay it forward, especially for the younger generations. Like I know, I try to mentor kids. All the time, like even my little brother back home, although he's hard headed, <laughs> but he listens to me. And, you know, he hit me up today saying that he like uh, made his first pizza by himself. Aww. Like, yo, that it made my day. He was like, "I'm a cook now." I was like, <laughs> "I was like, good job, young man." But um, I think it starts with the numbers. People like when they see a small amount, it's just like they run away from it. But it's everything is a process. You're gonna get. A, um, a bonus, a promotion, a raise, a raise, something like that. Like, stop being, stop feeling that you're so high and mighty. Like, and just work and help. And then you'll honestly understand being in that field is such a refreshing, you know, experience because it's like, forget the money. Like, I'm changing people's lives. Like, I'm getting students saying, like, Mr. McNeil, I got 100 on the test because of, of how you just, you know, taught yeah. multiplication. Mm-hmm. What? That's so great. Like, it is, it like is. It's, it's crazy. That's like, I work at the Boys and Girls Club in Rochester, New York, over the summer. And when I go home for, like, Christmas break, and I get paid ten forty an hour. I feel like that's a good pay for me just being a college student because I'm here now. I don't have nothing. So when I go home, anything is, like, good enough. But I like working at that job because I like to help people and I like to help kids because, like you said, you get to see, like, what type of impact you make on them, whether it's so, like, we have um, accelerated reading programs, and we definitely focus on that over the summer and during the school year. You have to read two books a day. If you fail your second book, then it's okay. You try again tomorrow. But, like, if you get, I believe, an 80 or above or whatever, you're rewarded for that. But I like that program because I feel like it helps the kids to, like, 
recognize that like you can do anything you want to do and then I'm definitely like I'm going to be there to help you so there's kids that can't read so I'll sit there and I'll help you read or whatever and I feel like that positive stimulus in their life is important because what if they're not getting that attention at home and then what if your parents aren't at home to help you read or read with you period like that's important and I feel like we shouldn't necessarily look at the pay that we're getting for that you should focus more on what you're doing for the kids or whoever it is because mm-hmm. they need that right 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 like what i'm noticing what we're talking about is the youth the youngers we got to start there because a lot of it's kind of hard to mold a mind frame that's already set mm-hmm. so with the older adults that feel like oh they're not listening they're just talking we really can't get that point across so if we start young with the last election even, mm-hmm. we've seen the demographics for how below, 40 and below, voted more towards Hillary. Mm-hmm. And then the older white man voted towards Donald Trump, even though they didn't know what he stood for or how that could impact, impact their lives. Mm-hmm. So I think it is very prominent that we get towards these younger kids to talk to them and be a positive impact because... It's not going to change tomorrow. Right. The school to prison pipeline that she's introducing been in place for a while. So yeah. it's not just going to be ended tomorrow. So if we start with the youth and get them correct and see that there can be more positive changes, then I think that we should start it. Yeah. No, I, I definitely understand that. Um, I It just, it all starts, we're well, still talking about the youth real quick. It just all starts with, with you know, one one kid at a time. And I think our generation, our generation, we have to be, as we grow older, we need to be more accountable and understand that we're not the last generation. We're not. So we need to, you know, get ourselves together so we can help the next. Right. So in regards to that, that's, that was a great topic in, in, in regards to the children. Now, let's grow older with, you know, male, uh, men and women who are adults now in the system being treated unfairly. And I know you, uh, Lou, you have some facts that you wanted to um, talk about. So let's, let's talk about that. All right. So first I'm going to start off by saying the U.S. is the most, had the most people incarcerated percentage-wise than any other country in the world. And the numbers are just outrageous. Right now in America, from 2018, from the prisonpolicy.org, they released this fact saying we have 2.2 million people in jail. That might not sound like a lot, but that is huge compared to any other country. And U.S. is a small country, or one of the smaller countries considered. We have countries like China, mm-hmm. countries like Russia, or population-wise. So yeah. rather than us just having 2.2 people, um, million people in jail, we have 4.5 million people on parole. That is almost 6.7 yeah, 6.7 million people under the prison system and it's kind of tacky because people in parole can be on parole for 10 years for a very small charge such as recreational use of marijuana so you have people that's on parole for I mean who went to jail and they just took the parole because they were scared they didn't have the money to try to fight that case. Mm-hmm. Even states that's legal like Colorado, Washington, California, that they are in jail for smoking weed. And now that state's illegal, so they're trying to get out. So a lot of states had to let them out on parole. Mm-hmm. So 
being in that system is like kind of hard to get out of because you can go back to jail for any encounter with the police. So I can make a legal U-turn at night. And just because of that, I can go to jail for 90 days for a legal U-turn mm-hmm. for a charge that was as small as smoking weed. Right. So I feel like we should look into how can we fix that prison system because I feel like nonviolent crimes shouldn't hold the same amount of time that a violent crime is. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be in jail for three years for something as small as... I'm sorry, let me get my facts mm-hmm. right. <laughs> Y'all keep talking about my fast No, I mean you're you're right. It's unfair, and it's like the smaller smaller you know crimes have a like the same time as a murder. Right. It's crazy. Like, and they should. And they should not. And what also is unfair is how teenagers and such who are not adults yet considered adults yet are. You know, of course, being charged, yeah, being charged with as an adult, and they're is, under the age of like eighteen, like twelve years old, like that's unacceptable. Like for instance, Khalif. Mm-hmm. But we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. yeah. All right, here we go. Mm-hmm. So in two thousand fourteen, I'm talking about African American population. We have two point three million. That thirty four percent of the population that is, I'm sorry, under the. Uh, it's okay. I, I still got, but um, maybe we could talk a little bit about the issue with Khalif and how he was sixteen years old. Mm-hmm. You know, a crime that he did not commit. Right. With what having the stuff in his book bag, what seven hundred dollars, so, an iPad. Mm-hmm. What happened was, um, he lived in New York City, and um, I think he was like on his way home from a party or something, or he was going to a party. And he got stopped because he fit the profile for somebody that possibly stole a book bag that had money in it, iPad, whatever it was. But the problem is he didn't do it. Mm. So they locked him up or whatever. And I believe he was in jail for three or four years. And most of the time that he was in jail, he spent in solitary confinement. But the problem is he didn't commit this crime. So why is he there? And why did y'all hold him for so long? Y'all, like, they delayed his trials. He was supposed to have meetings or whatever. And they just kept pushing them back. And part of the problem is because the public defender not able to help him. Because they have so many cases stacked up on their desk that they can't even review. So that's more people that's incarcerated because you have a strain on your life. Like, you have too many cases. So how are you supposed to deal with this one person when you have other people that you're supposed to deal with as well? Wow. And then what happened after? Um, I believe he was released from prison when he was 19. And about two or three years later, he ended up uh, committing suicide Mm. um, due to the PTSD that he dealt with when he was in solitary confinement and when he was in jail, period. Like, he was being taunted. He was... uh, he got into like a major altercation that was actually on camera and it's actually in the documentary mm-hmm. and it was on Nightline too, I believe. Um, they were just messing with him for no reason. Now, why do you feel as though prison inmates just have, it's just all out ruckus in a place that should be, you know, organized, that crime shouldn't be in 
a jail system. I think yeah. it in a prison, is. Excuse me. What do you call them? It's the the guards. They're not doing their job, or they're scared of the inmates, and you shouldn't be scared of the inmates. Right. You have the authority. Right. You signed up for this job as well. So how are you going to be scared of the people that you're supposed to be like? You're supposed to have leadership over them, not them. They're yeah. not supposed to have leadership over you. So how are you scared of them? Right. I had a, um one of my cousins. Um, he was a correctional officer for a, a couple of years, but he couldn't take it anymore uh, due to like, and he sort of has PS, PTSD now from um, working in, I guess, the, the highest or the, the highest part of this, the jail that I guess the most um, incidences and stuff mm-hmm. happened. So it's just like how, not saying that he was scared of, because he wasn't, he's like 6'3". 250 like, like, like. <laughs> a, a solid guys but it's just some other guards and stuff is just why are you afraid of the inmates and you have the power to 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 control the situation mm-hmm. why like why even sign up for a job like that if you can't do it right. if you're going to be scared of them like what made you want to sign up for that job if you knew you couldn't complete the task like right. and another thing that's unfair some guards are scared and then some guards are not and they overuse their power exactly and it's not fair for guards to antagonize certain inmates and that what makes them go crazy right and i'll if uh if i was an inmate and uh, a guard is just bothering me and bothering me, yes i'll go off and then now they make it like oh you know he did something wrong he i didn't like the way he did this blah 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 go to solitary confinement for that or they'll just drag them out of their cell and beat them up as well and then send them to solitary confinement and it's just like why and you started it right so people i think also guards are very slick as well and they really need to wards or something or y'all need to you know really pay attention to the the recordings and tapes because it's just like so many crimes that they're committing themselves are being unseen Mm -hmm. and that's why stories like Khalid Brown or uh, Browder are here today and it's just it's not cool right and it needs to be addressed more definitely and they need to be checked but back to the fact mm -hmm. and same with the um, guards I want to talk about it a little too um, the same with the police officers the people that are here to protect and serve um, you do have the ones that are out there trying to do their job and keep the streets safe and keep the communities clean and doing right on it but they're not it's not coming out publicly that they are holding the guards that are doing wrong accountable right because I believe they're w- w- ones working with them every day so they should be the ones who can tell somebody who's going abusing their power a little bit more like hey guy you shouldn't have slammed them like that you shouldn't have grabbed them like that they're human too and I think that's when it really starts with the making it better when you start getting accountability because right now you see every day almost on social media another video of a police abusing their power, using the choco, which has been outlawed in almost every state, mm-hmm. um, just getting away with it, and then they're getting paid time off. So you're rewarding somebody with a vacation for doing the job incorrect that you were supposed to learn, supposed to learn how to do mm-hmm. the correct, correct way. Yeah. All right. But back to the facts, though, because I, I really want to hear this. This is crazy. Alright, so in 2014, I'm reading this from the NCAACP.org. Mm-hmm. So in 2014, African Americans uh, consisted of 2.3 million or 
of the total 6.8 million people that is incarcerated. So this is all around the world. And that is the highest up, uh, percentage-wise of any other race, wow. even though that we only have 5%. So us being such a small number, but 34% is three in 10 people. Mm -hmm. So you look around, you three out of 10 people are in some type of system with the police, even not police, but um prison system. So why is that number so high for us versus any other race? Right. And states like New York, which has stop and frisk. Yeah. They target male, uh, African-American males between the age of 18 to 29, five times higher than any other demographic. So just walking the streets because you like you did something, you got a hood on, you got baggy clothes, right. or you're in a neighborhood where, like Khalif Brown, you fit the description, mm -hmm. you're being stopped for frisk more. And I think that's because it's not being held accountable. Like, again, I'm going to keep using the word accountable. The people who are talking, who are lawmakers or people in place to help us mm -hmm. protect the streets are taking the easy way out. Right. You hear all the time, they say we look alike. Right. And I just find that very kind of disrespectful because I believe... I it's I, ridiculous. I, I believe <laughs> that we all, we were probably the most uni unique race race because yes. you have light skin, brown skin, dark skin, different tones, our lips, our nose. Mm -hmm. We're unique and you say that we look alike is, a, I believe, the easy way out. They're just saying, oh, well, he fit the description. Well, a 5'10 and a 6'2 guy... That's They're not the same. Not the same at all. So I just feel like we should look at the way that we're providing evidence and showing people that that has to stop with us. I know I'm having a hard time getting my words out, but I'm just so passionate about it because <laughs> I can't just put in the words. But how, especially for my age, you know, I'm 21, I see people like me all the time been tackled just because they were walking in the wrong place at the wrong time mm -hmm. because a crime was committed that they had no part of. Mm -hmm. So now I'm being attacked and held in custody while they're trying to review the evidence to see if I committed a crime that I didn't, I didn't do that. I didn't probably even fit the description of, but they're not doing their job. They're being lazy and attacking us. They had to catch somebody so they could reach their quota as well. Exactly. And I feel like that, that's ridiculous that they have a quota. So if you're doing your job, the streets will be safer. Right. But you have to reach a number. So are you promoting crime? Are you wanting just to lock people up just so you can meet your quota to make mm -hmm. sure that you're doing your job? So I feel like that should be a... T Even though they say they don't have quotas, but you can tell they have quotas like... Everybody know at the end of my uh oh right. the arrest rate right. is right. higher. And let me tell you, for especially at Virginia State University, just going and in the area of Petersburg, some nights out here is just like Chesterfield is just whoop whoop. Two minutes later, whoop whoop. Exactly. I get text messages like, "Yo, be careful out there because they out again for what." Right. For what? It'd be like a whole bunch of them too. And then you get pulled over and it's not just one police car, it's exactly. like two or three. Two or exactly. three police cars. And like, why? I did not do anything. I was trying to go to Wawa oh, to get some ice. Illegal <laughs> turn. You didn't use your signal light. Like what? Exactly. I feel like it's very minor. Ticky tack, which probably trying to be that quarter again. Mm -hmm. Now you have more interactions with a police officer. Now you have more arrests. So it's all just 
add on to each other. One leads to another. Now you have more people in jail because they're trying to meet a quota. Yeah. Just make sure they're doing a job. When I feel like if they're doing a job, the arrest number should be down. The right. street should be safer. Mm-hmm. So for them to have a number to meet, it just works backwards and counterproductive. Yeah. Because now you have more people innocent, innocent people that are in jail. And then, like you said, that prison is, is not the best place to be right now. So you mold them to be a worse person than they were when they went in there. So yeah. now they come out not liking cop, not mm-hmm. liking law enforcement, probably can't get a job because now they have a record. Mm-hmm. So now they're on the streets just to be locked up back again and just complete the cycle and add new people. Death by the numbers have skyrocketed. Between 1980 and 2015, America roughly increased it from 500,000 people incarcerated to 2.2 million. Mm. That is crazy. In just less than, what, 35 years? Yes, 35 years. Mm-hmm. Like, the population number in America is not for Americans. We do have immigrants. We do have um, people coming over. But for Americans, it hasn't increased. It's not going at the same rate as incarceration. And, and let's think about this, too, from a historical standpoint of you know, certain presidents putting in um, programs and such. Like, let's think about it. The the um, the ramming thing mm-hmm. with Reagan, if I'm not mistaken, like with the drugs and stuff, mm-hmm. like in the late 80s. Right. Every, almost every house on the block in, in California was, you know, being uh, rammed in so they could try and see, you know, what drugs are in the house. And many people, you know, got arrested for not having. Crazy. So, <laughs> so it's also the people in in positions that are you once again, you know, using their advantage to make us and also other races, you know, not have a life. Right. So that and now the question is maybe to wrap this up because I know we gotta go. Um how could we, you know, with this generation, could really inform people and the younger generations on how to stop this? Like, where would it start? I feel like it could start right here with your podcast. Mm. Because we're here, we're talking about it, we're getting the conversation started. So as many people listen to your podcast, like, get up and do something about it or at least help or get together with groups of friends or whatever or like even if you know higher up people get mm-hmm. together with them and see like what you can do to help yeah. and get into the community to make a difference for the younger kids and even the people that if you have a way that are locked up mm-hmm. there's ways to do it and there's ways to go about it properly as well yeah I believe like she said education so informing people a lot of people because it's not happening to them they don't care about it. Yes. Right. So it's not being affected or it's not being broadcasted publicly because oh, it's not affecting everybody. But really it is because when your brother or your cousin or even your classmate is now in jail for something they didn't do or something as minor as running a red light now, they said they found some weed in the car. And, then, and you know that person doesn't smoke, but because they got a quote in the meat, they got to throw somebody else in jail. So mm-hmm. I feel like education and just open their eyes, getting more people out, getting the word out that we need to stop this problem and get into positions. So I believe we can't complain about the positions 
and not want to be there. So we have this word or this saying saying F12. Yep. Um, if you have a problem with them, then why don't you go in there and change it? I think we do need to get more African-American representation and police officers and judges because it's not going to change what that's just saying because that's going to start becoming white noise. They're not going to hear it. Right. It's just going to be like, oh, they're just talking. They're just talking. Just having another rant and uh-huh. they're not going to do anything. Another protest. Right. Nothing's going to happen. But right. once you start getting in there and then you start changing the system, when you start seeing that the nonviolent crimes are not serving as much time as the rapists, as the murderers, mm-hmm. It's going to start changing and trickling it down that way. It's like we need to, you know, become a part of also, you know, groups like civil rights groups mm-hmm. um, like NAACP, National Action Network, you know, that already have a voice in the community. And with that extra voice and that extra thought, it could change it all around. Definitely. And also, I think some people just need to not be afraid and step up and run for that position no matter how big or how small that position is you still have a voice and it i mean rome wasn't built overnight you gotta start somewhere so you have to start somewhere so you can build on it because it will come to pass it will change but you have to start it right so with you know state and federal laws and people becoming going to get your you know law degree and stuff like that it all it goes around full circle it does, it does. to help us because we wouldn't want to see us. It hurts to see us in jail. Yeah, so I think we got to start seeing more people like us in those positions. So you can have the role model. So back to the youth. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to have another generation of saying, I want to be just like Mr. Andrews. I just want to be just like Mr. McNeil. I want to be like Miss Nia. Mm-hmm. Like, once you start seeing that, become the role model, you have more people that follow, and then that's how you get the numbers, so they get more representation. Yeah. So I believe we just have to start attacking those positions more and start focusing on that, like, everybody can't be a basketball player. Right. 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 We do need an, another judge, another yes. African-American judge. Yes. We need another black police officer. Everybody can't be LeBron. Everybody can't be Michael Vick. It's like, we gotta, it's not that we glorify those people, because they do have a Huge impact. Well, not maybe not Michael Vick, but Russell Wilson, or another prominent black athlete. Yeah, right. But yeah. we need to um, glorify those positions instead of saying F them, instead of saying I don't like 12, you're up, or all those stuff. Like, I feel like we need to get in those positions so we can make the change because words, yeah, they can do stuff, but until you start seeing action, until mm-hmm. you start seeing more black councilmen, more black um, lawyers. Everybody don't got to be the president. Like, you can affect your city with just being a city on that city council. Right. Which is a way easier position to apply for. You have, you don't have to, it doesn't cost as much with the campaign and everything. So, mm-hmm. I believe it's way, we have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then once you start getting your councilmen, once you start getting your lawmakers in your city then you work to the state level and then you can get on the house of representatives on the board of governors and yeah. just work your way to the top the top so if we have an african-american president which he only had eight years so we have a son that's going over 400 years now yeah, right. so it's not going to change in eight years right. and now i think kind of step, step back with the current president because mm-hmm. the same trial or charges that or stuff that been encountered in him me or you 
or you would have been in would jail be. by now. Definitely. Been all in the jail. groping of women, all the stuff that's been charged against with people that's on his board, his own lawyer came out and right. talked against and him. And it's so crazy. What's being said, still nothing has happened yet. Nothing. And it's so unfair that one person, really, Al Green, who is a representative, I'm not trying not to be you know mistaken, the only one that really stood up and was like, he needs to be impeached. A black man at that. A black man that actually, you know, has his degree from FAMU mm-hmm. at that. Love me from FAMU. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, I think to end it all, another word, you know, to, to sum it up is accountability. Accountability. Definitely. definitely is definitely accountability and understanding mm-hmm. what's at stake. Yes. So, as closing remarks, what would you like to say to the people so we can start now the change I think that I'm gonna say me personally as a criminal justice major I get access a lot and like we had a speaker coming the other day and he was like who wants to be a police officer and I didn't raise my hand I don't want to be a police officer for the stereotype and also because I don't necessarily want to put my life on the line for other people. I'd rather help the people and I know I can help them by being a police officer. Mm-hmm. But I want to get into like the court system and stuff. So I would just say put yourself out there. Apply for positions that you don't want to apply for or you don't think you would ever really want to put yourself in those shoes. Mm-hmm. But I think that we should do it. And I think there should be more people to do it and more people to go out of their comfort zone to not necessarily help yourself, but to help other people. Right. And um, kind of piggyback what she said, on, I think representation, we need to be represented more in these higher positions because we can't expect change for just there we want a few individuals to say oh what we're doing to the african-american community is wrong so i think we just need to get there in the door so we start breaking down barriers and then the youth so it's not going to change overnight like you said wrong with the building one night mm-hmm. so informing those youth like what you see on tv about how the i think the narrative the public perception that we need to change mm. because like i said People saying F the cops, F the system, which they have a reason to believe that because the system has done it wrong. Mm-hmm. But until you get into that system, it's not going to change. Right. So you can't complain from the outside if you're not trying to do nothing mm-hmm. to change it. Yeah. To beat the man, you got to be the man. You're right. right. Rick Flair said that. <laughs> <laughs> so to end it off, um, let's start to change. Get into those positions. Be, un- be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And then, then you'll see the growth. Within yourself and then with the people around you. So, on that note, this has been another episode of Real Talk with Ezra. Thank y'all so much for coming out, and I hope to see y'all soon. Have a great day.